Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone. Time for another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. And this is quite a special episode because it is OpenStreetMap's 19th birthday. Um, this episode should be coming out... I, I, I'm not even sure exactly when the birthday is. I think it's I think it's August 8th is celebrated as the birthday, which um, was declared the birthday because that was the day that the OpenStreetMap.org domain was registered, if I, if I recall correctly. But... Um, so today I have as my guest an old friend and someone who was involved in the very, very early days of OpenStreetMap and, and remains very involved to this day. And we're going to kind of reminisce about some of the early days back in London when OpenStreetMap was just getting started uh, and reflect on on those special times, but also then how things are, are looking for the future of the project. So welcome back, Andy Allen. Great to have you here on the show again. You were a guest all the way back in episode 10 of the podcast, which is... Um, a lot of water under the bridge since then. So, um, great to have you on the show, Andy. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Thanks for inviting me back again. For, for those that don't know you and who maybe weren't regular listeners back in episode 10, get, very briefly, tell us, give us a little bit about who you are and what you do and, and your uh, involvement with OpenStreetMap. Yeah, I'm Andy Allen. I'm the founder of Thunder Forest, and we make activity-specific maps for developers, uh, and it's all based on OpenStreetMap. Um, I'm also the maintainer, or one of the two maintainers of the OpenStreetMap.org website uh, code base. So every week I'm working on that, and uh, I've been involved in OpenStreetMap since 2006. All right. So that's a few years now. So that, that was also when I got into OpenStreetMap, 2006 as well. Um, and I don't actually even remember when I met you, Andy, but it must have been at either a mapping party or at a pub meetup kind of in that, in that time period. Um, take us back. Tell us your first memories of OpenStreetMap and how you got involved in the project. So there's three things that got me into OpenStreetMap. And the first one was um, I'd been doing some traveling and uh, when I was abroad, all the maps were rubbish. They just weren't, just couldn't find any good maps. Um, and I'd been doing some open source stuff. I'd been doing some Creative Commons stuff and I'd been wandering around trying to find paths on holiday, like go for a nice walk and thinking, wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of like all the people getting together and some kind of open life since doing some maps. So that idea was burbling at the back of my head. Um, and when I came back to the UK, I'd seen a couple of blog posts from an OpenStreetMap developer called Tom Chance. And he'd come across this project called OpenStreetMap. And the second time I saw him mentioning it, I thought, you know what, this, this fits in. This is the kind of thing that I'm interested in doing. So I had a little bit more of a look into it and realized that the third thing that had been burbling in my head had been I really wanted to buy a Garmin GPS, but I had no good excuse for spending like 150 quid on a GPS. And so when I thought, hey, I could buy a Garmin with the excuse being that I'm doing something useful with it by contributing to OpenStreetMap, then that made me go out and spend money and that made me start contributing to OpenStreetMap. Maybe we should set the context for some of our younger listeners because they may may not even know how it used to be that people said it of a stream map because now you know you just go to the website and you click edit. Exactly. It used to be you would go walk around 
with your GPS device, record where you went, and I, and I should say GPS device because obviously there were no smartphones at that time. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you had a special device, and you would record where you went. And of course, on a piece of paper, maybe you could take some notes and write down, like, oh, at you know, at, at ten thirty-seven, I was at this place or whatever. So that later you could line up the trace to where it went. And then what? Then you would go home, and and then what would happen? Take us through this process because I I think people may not even believe it. All right. Yeah, I mean, it, like it, it was it was hard to explain back then because when I got started, um, there was only about twenty or thirty roads in London in OpenStreetMap. Everything was blank, and we didn't have any aerial imagery to trace over. Um, we only had Landsat imagery, which had like I don't know a hundred meter resolution, so you could see where London was, but you couldn't see any of the streets. Um, and yeah, we had to walk up and down, walk the length of every street, taking with the. G- GPS recording every second so that we had like this line of breadcrumbs or this network of breadcrumbs and as you say taking first it was like writing on bits of paper and then buying digital cameras so that you could take endless photos of street signs and when we'd go back uh, back home we'd uh, fire up JOSM and start you had to trace over your little line of breadcrumbs to draw the streets and then add the road names and, and press save um, and I think the key thing that, is that a lot of people can't imagine is we didn't get to see the output after we pressed save um, this is back in the time before the slippy maps were available when there was a, an applet which loaded the map from the database and drew little white lines over Landsat um, background and it would only be working for an hour or two per week it used to be a thing like you'd, you'd need to wait until midweek until I don't even know what the technical problems were but there'd be one afternoon you would see the new things showing on the map and be like quick quick take a screenshot whilst it's still there um, before it all stops working again so it was really early days well, that, that is a very good point because I think people People don't realize all of that was invented around the same time. I mean, Google Maps had just come out in like 2005, I think, early 2005, 2004, maybe. Um, And that was the first time you could kind of move the map, you could drag the map. And of course, Google Maps, when it came out, only had the US. It didn't didn't have... didn't, the rest of the world was just blank, and then eventually they added the UK, and then it was only it was only later that you know Europe or and other places came on. Obviously, there was no satellite imagery or what they call satellite imagery, aerial imagery. Um, I mean, this was very different, and and people were just I mean, what you could do in terms of putting a pin on the map and all that. It was like every week something new was being invented. It was really. Um, it was so dynamic what was happening. And then I remember, for me, the thing that really got me into it was that, that O'Reilly book came out, the Google Maps Hacks. Uh, and and when that came out, I bought that book, and I was like, oh, my God, this is really amazing what people are doing now and things. So, um, And, of course, I mean, we were both fortunate in that we happened to be in London at that time. And so then the whole the scene kind of came about and we started having kind of the pub meetups and the, the mapping parties. Tell us that, I mean, were you, were you at some of the earliest mapping parties? Were you, give us your impressions of those kind of events or what, how did it all work? 
Yeah, so so I missed the first couple of mapping parties. They happened just before I got involved, but it was still very early days. And I remember I'd been involved just through the mailing lists and, and seeing people talking and, and all the different discussions going on. And the first event that I went along to had like the titans of OpenStreetMap were there. Steve Coast was doing a presentation. Um, Etienne, who was one of the early developers, did a lot of work on, on Osma Render and, and things like that. Um, he was there. And Richard Fairhurst turned up to demonstrate a new editor that he'd been working on where you didn't have to draw each node individually first. You could draw a line and it would automatically put in the nodes. Um, and so that that was like technologically cool. But also it was just so cool how welcoming everybody was. Because I've been reading, you know, like be, being a sort of passive participant in the in the mailing list, turned up and everyone was super friendly and they would buy me a beer and, and it was it was great. So I was hooked straight away. And then it things as you say, things happened so quickly. Like there were so many mapping parties going on every couple of weeks, uh, different places in London, loads of enthusiastic people finding the, the project and, and getting involved. Um, so yeah, so I, I remember lots of that. I do remember lots of beer was involved. So some of the memories are slightly faded by time, uh, but it was, it was a great time. Yes, I can remember doing a mapping party where we met at the... It was on a Saturday, and we met at the multi-map office I don't know if you remember that. It was near on Fleet Street. And we, you know, it was truly, you know, the pie chart where, you know, everyone got their wedge of the pie. Of the, and and uh, so there was, a, there was a map of London. Someone had printed out and we, we drew like the different sectors and each one. Then we all split up and went out and mapped. And, you know, at this point you could still... You know, you, literally, you were writing in the names of all the streets or brand, you know, things that had never been mapped. The map was empty in places. And this was still actually pretty late. This must have been like 2008 or so. There were still streets that were unnamed or whatever. Anyway, so then we all, and, and then we meet back up at the pub and everyone, uh, yeah, lots of beers. And then, of course, then at night or maybe the next day, depending on how many beers you had, you actually have to upload all the data and, and watch the map fill in. And it, it was really. It felt like there was something happening, you know, it really felt like, but that being said, it was also still core things, but, but then the question was always like, is this ever actually going to be useful for anyone? What's your, any memories of the first time you saw someone actually making use of the map? Oh, that's interesting. I do remember the first time I saw the maps going onto Garmin devices because somebody had reverse engineered how the Garmin proprietary map format worked. And when we started being able to load up what we'd already done on OpenStreetMap onto the Garmin devices, that was just cool in itself because um, other people could use it, but it was also super helpful for us because you could see uh, we've already done those. Uh... You then, when exactly did you start working on OpenStreetMap? Because you were, yeah, if I recall correctly, you were like the first employee of Steve and Nick started a company, which I think then is that what became CloudMed? Or first they had another company. This was like the the ZXY or whatever company, or, or I forget the exact name. And you were their first employee. You were their first team member. So what what made you make that leap? Right? 
Yeah, so I was doing all this just as a hobby, um, including doing things like uh, creating uh, what became Open Cycle Map, which was one of the first kind of themed maps that were available. All that was just as a hobby, whilst I had a proper job elsewhere. And then uh, Steve and Nick had set up uh, ZXV as a small consultancy, and they, they hired somebody to work there. And uh, part of what they did was start pitching around for, for how to make a, a big company, like a, a VC-backed company, to, to uh, build on top of what OpenStreetMap was making available. Um, so when they got their first round of funding, they went out to, to hire a bunch of people. Um, and I was one of the first people to say yes. Uh, so to chuck in the proper job, working in the public sector, and go and work for, for Steve and Nick on their crazy startup idea. Um, and I was looking back at the timeline today, and I, like, I can't believe how quickly everything happened between signing up. For me, that was October 2006. I signed up, and in April 2008, so in Less than two years later, I'm like chucking in the career and like doing OpenStreetMap as a as a full time thing. So, like it's a the, the pace that things were changing at was was huge. So yeah, so I joined joined CloudMade um, in early 2008 and had uh, a roller coaster ride for the next 18 months, uh, learning a whole lot about how the world works and and what's involved in running a startup. Yeah, tell us a bit about that experience. I mean, what what did you work on? What was uh, what were you building? What was your task? It follows the line of, of what most startups based on OpenStreetMap have done over the years, except CloudMed was the first. So being able to take the OpenStreetMap data and offer maps, offer geocoding, offer routing, offer all these kind of services that commercial players or, or commercial organizations want to use, but they don't want to get down and dirty with the, with the raw OpenStreetMap data themselves. So we had to come, we had to like invent a lot of these things from, from scratch. There wasn't existing open source software for, for some of these things. Um, and a big chunks of the of the effort in the company was was trying to prove this market existed. So uh, there was lots of skepticism that a OpenStreetMap was useful as it was, or b OpenStreetMap would ever be useful, um, and see whether anybody would be willing to pay for it. Um, and that that took a lot of effort. And I think it's uh, it, it shows that they were right because even now, like decades later, um, there's plenty of companies who are, who are following that same path um, and uh, plenty of businesses who are looking for those kind of services. Do you, do you ever just sit back and reflect, Andy, on the, when like now, I mean, now OpenStreetMap is everywhere. It's, it's used by some of the biggest companies in the world. I mean, are you ever just like, just, you know, amazed that it actually worked? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that, and that was a big thing back back in these early days, back in the kind of like two thousand six, two thousand and eight era, was like, is it going to work? Is it possible? Um, there was a lot of people in the industry who were like, who, who just couldn't imagine that there would be enough volunteers to to map every street in the UK, for example. Never mind every building or points of interest or anything else like that. Um, so I think it was it was interesting to 
try and figure out like is it possible what would be needed to be possible like do we have enough volunteers can we get enough volunteers um, but it's also interesting that a lot of people just didn't worry about it and just got on with it because everyone was having fun so like is it feasible or not like people didn't most most mappers were just like doing the mapping parties going out and mapping and not really worrying about these kind of existential questions but for me one of the big aha moments was I I did not go to the very first state of the map, which was in Manchester, even though my company sponsored it, which is one of the things I'm very proud of, that we had the foresight at that time to sponsor the very first state of the map. But I did make it to, I think it was the second one in Limerick. I don't know, were you were you there for that one? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, first of all, it was great, but... A lot of people came. I mean, a lot of people from all over, not just, of course, there were all the people from London and stuff, but then all of a sudden you saw these people from like, you know, all across Europe, there were people from like Japan there and stuff, and then, you know, they rigged up kind of the very first kind of imp improvisational video conference, and you had, we had people like calling in from like, I remember some guys from like Ethiopia who called in from Addis Ababa, and they were like, yeah, we're mapping our city, and... And, you know, a big part of the conference was people would just, like, show different maps of different parts of the world and just be like, you know, oh, my God, who's who the hell is mapping in Bolivia? Or, oh, my, you know, oh, my God, look, some someone mapped the city in Indonesia or whatever. And, you know, for the first time, I was like, wow, this is pretty wild. I mean, that all these people are coming out of the woodwork and and... And of course, there were many, many technical problems to still be overcome, and disagreements, and you know, uh, some of the personalities were, were a bit abrasive or whatever. But but you could, for the first time, see like, wow, this are, there's really something here. There's really something happening. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I, I do worry to a degree to have, to to some degree of whether that that gets lost now in OpenStreetMap, you know, because it's almost become so big and so um and and also frankly because in many areas many things are already mapped. Although in my experience you can always find more things to map. I mean it, it, everywhere. I mean even in Germany which is like one of the most mapped countries there's still tons of stuff to map in terms of like house numbers and points of interest or whatever but um even the occasional street um I don't know what your what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I remember Limerick as, as well. And yeah, that that um people would just turn up and, and talk about mapping their own town because in those days it wasn't necessarily a given that a, a large town like with a hundred thousand people in it, it might not have been mapped at that point. Uh, even in the UK. Right, yeah, I mean it might be a point. It might be a point with a name. Yeah. Yeah. So some people would turn up with these super detailed maps of places or, or um, castles in Japan and, and things like that, and that, that was that was great. But it, it really showed how much it was driven by the idea and not the practicalities of it, because we didn't have a good technical setup. There wasn't much data there. It wasn't super useful for any practical purposes. Um, but there were still people who were willing to pay thousands to fly around the world to come to a um, hotel in Ireland and say, "I've been mapping." in my area and, and to, to hang out with other mappers. So it shows how strong that idea was. But it wasn't a, a fully formed thing. There was lots of uh, changes and, like you say, disagreements. 
uh, how the project should be organised. Uh, should Steve remain in charge of everything or, or set up a foundation to, to make it more democratic? Um, and these things were all like high drama, but also happened really quickly as well. Um, like lots of stuff changed in, in a short period of time. Well, let's let's shift focus a little, Andy. And um, rather than just reminiscing about the past, what's your what's your impression of of the current state of affairs, but also the future? And I mean, so, first up, let me ask as as someone who was there in the very beginning, when it was literally making the map by hand and drawing it on a piece of paper or whatever, and then you know manually entering that. What's your take on all the new technological possibilities? You know, like all the the aerial imagery, the machine learning to extract the buildings from the imagery, all, all this kind of stuff. The the cameras you can put in your car, all of it that can create the map for you. How do you? How do, what's your opinion? So I'm I'm very pro all of that, but with an important caveat in that I see all of this as uh, tools for individual mappers to make their life easier, not as a replacement for, for volunteers. So like going back to those early days, aerial imagery is great because it meant that I didn't have to walk to the end of every street with a GPS, so that made it better. And uh, better resolution imagery meant I could trace the buildings. If something else can trace the buildings, um, and I just need to click and say these ones are right but that's actually a tennis court that looks like a building then that's fine for me what I'm really not that interested in is when people start for feeding the data straight into OpenStreetMap and, and bypassing the community members and it's a, it's a tricky area because a lot of techie people see OpenStreetMap as a technological project and so if they can make some better tech to kind of automatically update OpenStreetMap or things like that then, then they don't see what the downsides of it are. Um, but as we were just discussing, it's, it's really not a tech project because we didn't have tech when the project was starting off. Um, it's really a social project. It's how to find volunteers, to motivate people, to get people interested in their own community and to make sure that they're always in charge of, of what's going on in the map. So I'm, I'm pro all these tracing and AI and, and things like that um, uh, if they're tools for, for the mappers to use and if they're, they're given... Uh, to the people who who have the most vested interest in their area of the map or their type of mapping. But I, I, one of the challenges I see there, though, is uh, you know, as I said, it was it was a lot of fun back in the early days because we were literally filling in the map, right? You know, the, you you find a road that hadn't been mapped and you add it, and then you get the satisfaction of of eventually seeing it render on the map. And, and I do say eventually because, as you say, it could often be a process of days back then. Um, but now, you know, that's much more rare, especially in, in, if you're in a big city that's already well mapped and, you know, okay, maybe you can add the opening hours of a store or something, but it, it's become much more about maintenance rather than creation, right? And, you know, it, it, maintenance is just, for the vast majority of people, it's just less motivating. So... You know, do we run the risk that there is uh, that there is no community? The community kind of burns out because it's like, who wants to just do maintenance, right? How do we how do we find the ways to keep people excited? Um, and, and there have been some good approaches to this with the you know the various apps that do the gamification, like the Street Complete and stuff like that, and the Map Roulette. And but I, I, I worry that. <laughs> 
you know, it, particularly in these places that are already well mapped, it's 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 hard to. Is the passion still there that we saw in the early days, and can that be recreated? Yeah, the maintenance issue is definitely like a, a big one because it's it's not as as rewarding as compelling like to, to walk down a street to just like check the, the name of that point of interest is the same as what's on OpenStreetMap and the opening hours haven't changed in the last six months um, compared to adding stuff in for the first time um, but I think anything which is being used and being useful will end up being maintained um, I find it super massively useful when, when I'm away from home using OpenStreetMap um, and seeing points of interest and whether the what the opening hours are for this bakery on a um, small village somewhere. Um, it's super useful and so so I have the motivation to, to fix them when they're wrong. Um, not necessarily the motivation to go and survey an entire town, but the, the individual things that I'm using, like I'll, I'll keep up to date. Um, but it is a it is a big challenge, and I think the the thing that will work best is relentlessly increasing the number of people who are editing OpenStreetMap and who are interested in editing OpenStreetMap, because you might not be able to find people who are doing like six hours a day, both days of the weekend, going and, and doing surveying. Like, the, that's, that was super common 18 years ago, but not so much anymore. Um, but many hands make light work, so it's making sure that we get all the different people involved. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I know there have been some efforts to do things like get involved with schools and... Um, you know, organizations like the Boy Scouts or the Scouts or whatever, where you continually have a new stream of new people, and and thus for them they have the excitement of kind of seeing it for the first time, and uh, and and thus they maintain their area and things like that. But what would be your advice for someone maybe listening right now, you know, who's who has just joined OpenStreetMap or you know who's younger and they're just getting into it? What, what any any thoughts? What would you, what would what message would you leave them with? So the first message is uh, sign up, click edit, and start editing. Um, it's I come across more and more people who are slightly daunted by the whole project and the concept of are we really allowed to just make changes? Um, and, is, and isn't so that I'm, perverse, Andy? Because it's actually easier than ever to edit. It's yeah. easier than ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, but I think as the as the overall quality of OpenStreetMap goes up, people are, are slightly afraid of making mistakes. So I would say, like step one, definitely just just click edit, get going, press save, um, and, and and keep doing it. Don't stand on ceremony or. or worry about it too much. And the second thing is um, to focus on the stuff that's important to you. Um, that's what you'll find the most enjoyment from. So if your local park is important to you, then go and add the drinking water fountains, go and add the, the playground equipment, uh, do things like that. If um, access for um, wheelchair users is important for you, then go and add the wheelchair mapping tags to, to your local shops. Um, so focus on the things that are important to you and the things that you are seeing benefit from yourself. Like uh, if you are using one of the custom, uh, one of the alternative layers on OpenStreetMap or 
or an app that shows particular things, then, then focus on that. Um, and then when you're into it, expand your horizons to try and complete your local area or take on a bigger challenge like sorting out the dressing for your town or, or things like that. But the first steps are definitely like dive in and then focus on things that you're interested in. All right. Very wise words. Thanks. What, um, where, where do you think, I mean, this year was the 19th birthday, so we're almost turning 20 with the project. Where do you think OpenStreetMap will be in 20 years' time? Um, I think it will be everywhere. Like, I, I think... Uh, it took a few years when I was trying to figure out where OpenStreetMap would sit alongside all the other sources of, of map data. And we've just about got to the point now where everyone's uh, happy that it's, it's OpenStreetMap. There's always some question marks as to whether or not there'll be other free data sets like the machine-generated data that people could be using as, a, as an alternative to OpenStreetMap. But I, I don't think that will be the case. Um, I think OpenStreetMap has got a few things ahead of itself over the next 20 years on uh, quality assurance and ensuring um, like mistakes or any deliberate vandalism gets caught before it goes into the main uh, database. Yeah. Because there's a few big organisations who still want to keep their own data, um, you know, like local councils or, or national organisations who have you know, their own data sets. And they mostly want to put these into OpenStreetMap, but they're always just a little bit concerned about people messing around with the, with the data and whether or not they can rely on it 24-7. So I think that's that's one part of the story that OpenStreetMap needs to, to focus on is, is making sure that these, um, these data issues are caught ahead of time. Now, for, for the last 18 years, it's been very quickly cleaned up afterwards, but that doesn't suit everyone. And I think when, when those bits are taken care of, that will be the last uh, few use cases where people aren't willing to, to use OpenStreetMap for their data. And when it turns out that every local council, every organization, every commercial company is one way or another using OpenStreetMap for their maps, then uh, that will also help with a lot of the maintenance challenges because these companies and organizations themselves will be 100% vested in keeping their data up to date. We we do we do see that with some of our geocoding customers, you know. Then they 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 have that aha moment of realizing they they find a bug and then we explain to them they can fix the bug and then not all but some of them do then start start fixing the bugs and actually clean things up and whatever. But but one question, Andy. I mean, the same way you mentioned, people are you see that some people are scared to edit because you know they. They see that OpenStreetMap is not so good, and they're worried about making a mistake. One worry that I have is that, you know, big fundamental changes. Are we as a community scared to make big fundamental changes anymore? Because we have a thing that's kind of halfway working, right? So, so a change like what you're talking about of some sort of, you know, catching the errors before they go live or whatever, have some sort of staging process, whatever, however it would be solved, right? I mean, this is a complex problem, right? That will require complex technology, but also, you know, a change to the current workflow and a, and a change to how people are used to interacting with things. And, you know, are we even as a group able to make those big complex changes anymore? Yeah, it's definitely difficult to, to it's definitely difficult to make these big uh, big changes now. Um, 
I remember being in uh, a hack weekend in the Cloud Metadata season in Putney uh, when we had um, the developers of all the editors and all the tools that use the data uh, from from the database, and you could get everybody involved into into one room and say, "We're going to change the API this weekend. Uh, who wants to write the SQL migration code for that?" Um, and those those days aren't aren't repeatable <laughs> anymore. There's far too many people involved in far far too many systems. Um, yeah, that's long gone. <laughs> And so things haven't changed, and I would say it's because it's more than halfway useful. It's like 95% of everything that we need. So I don't think there are big fundamental changes that are needed. Um, there's definitely a coordination problem. But most of the effort over the last few years has been going into this kind of horizontal expansion of, of OpenStreetMap, of... Um, dealing with so many people involved in so many different parts of the world and, and the tools needed for, for adding, uh, adding all these different things in. Um, so I know a lot of people are of the opinion OpenStreetMap hasn't changed just because the API is the same version as it has been for years or the website hasn't had to redesign for a while. Um, but it, it's an order of magnitude different in, in activity. Um, and as I think I think that is probably reaching its peak now um, of OpenStreetMap is thoroughly active all everywhere around the world. I no longer have people asking me like when is it going to be useful in France, for example. Um, so I think now the, the development can, can refocus on, on that last five percent of a few change few small changes we can make here and there to, to optimize it further. Well all right. Um I guess we, I mean, obviously we could reminisce for quite some time, Andy, but I guess we should probably wrap it up there with that optimistic look towards the future. But um, I, I, unless you have any, any final memories back from the glory days that you want to you share with the audience, any, uh, did you ever accidentally delete the whole world or anything like that or that you now want to admit to or you want to... <laughs> Well, well, there, there was a problem when I got put in charge of the, the redaction bot when we uh, changed the license and uh, someone had to run the tool that was going to remove all the data that we couldn't use under the new ODBL license. Um, and there was a point where, unfortunately, some wires had been crossed about what had to and what, what could be preserved in Poland. And so vast chunks of, of Poland were <laughs> accidentally deleted uh, at the start of this uh, license bot. So, so that's definitely one memory um, and another memory um, was um, I did some work with the, the hardware guys Tom and Grant uh, uh, many years ago and, and one day we were moving the OpenStreetMap database server like the, the OpenStreetMap database server from uh, uh, PhD office in the University College London to a proper data center at Imperial College London. And so we switched off OpenStreetMap. Like all of OpenStreetMap got switched off. We took the database out and we put it in the back of the van. And then we had to try and use our local knowledge to figure out which route had the fewest 
disks in hmm. the box so that we were least likely to break any of the hard drives. And so planning a route across uh, down Park Lane instead of through the middle of Hyde Park uh, just to avoid the speed bumps. And the, the nervousness and the, the pressure knowing that all of OpenStreetMap was offline and was waiting on the two of us getting this database server from one place to another. Um, that's, that's quite an abiding memory as well. well you, you had the whole world in your hands there, Andy, that you could... Uh, um, yeah, those are fun days. Those are fun days. We the other the other point, the other seed I want to plant in your head, Andy, is we we got to figure out what we're going to do for next year for the twentieth birthday. I'm trying to I'm trying to get it going that we have we have some kind of a big event in London. So all I need is for other people to organize it, and I'm happy to show up. And uh, uh, so if you can <laughs> get working on that, but. Um, very fun conversation to reminisce about the the good old days and uh, and the many good days to come. I mean, that the one of the thing that's great about OpenStreetMap, I have to say, that I enjoy is it truly is a hobby. First of all, that's global. I mean, you can meet people from all over the world, anywhere you go, you can participate in it, and there are local communities now. But also, it's a hobby that young and old can do, right? So, you know, now my son is 12 and, you know, so we start ten, go, when we go for a hike and, you know, we pull out the app and we do a little bit of mapping or whatever. So, you know, kids can do it all the way up through. It's, it's a hobby we'll be able to do the rest of our lives. So I look forward to many, many happy, happy mapping events to come and perhaps also the occasional beer after the mapping events. So um, on that cheery note, Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, one final point, Andy. If anyone wants to get in touch, how should they um, contact you? If they want to correct your memory about some of those events from back in the day or... or yeah, there's definitely some some corrections might be needed for some of the, the anecdotes, but um, I'm at gravitystorm at gravitystorm.co.uk on Mastodon, um, and if you want any other contacts, then gravitystorm.co.uk has the full list. Fantastic. We'll, we'll get that in the, uh, the show notes, of course. Great talking with you, Andy, and I will see you at the next Geomob in London. Bye. Great. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the Geomob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon.